Spazzin' Out, America's podcast. Recorded live from Boston. Broadcasting around the world. Covering everything America is talking about and beyond. Take your seats and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Anthony Parziali. All right, guys, we're joined by firearms expert. Is that, is that what I'm supposed to say? Firearms expert, Skylar uh, Robertson. Robertson, right? I get that yeah, right? You did. Um, yeah, okay. firearms expert, use of force expert. Use of force expert. And what is what exactly is a firearms expert? How does one become an expert in this field? Um, I started in the military. I joined the Army right out of high school. And of course, was trained and got a lot of experience there. Um, I became an NRA firearms instructor. I became, um, I started after, uh, well, in 2016, I started contracting with the government overseas. I went to Afghanistan, Iraq, a bunch of other countries. I worked for, did State Department contracts as a protective security specialist doing diplomatic security. So over the years, I've accumulated a lot of courses and um, got to the point where attorneys reached out to me. I started writing for Concealed Carry Magazine, and I had an attorney reach out to me and said, hey, I've got a case that I need an expert witness for who can discuss lawful use of force to okay. a jury. Did you have to take a This is so stupid, but did you have to take a test or an exam to pass or just because you have an extensive experience with firearms and with the, the knowledge of it, they just deemed you an expert? I submitted my resume with my report and an expert witness resume is more of a functional resume, but it detailed all my experience, my time as an instructor in the military. And so I submitted that. The district attorney, when he got my report from the defense attorney, looked at it and goes, yeah, we, we're just going to concede that this guy's an expert. I've never actually been what they call board dired. That's where, because the board dire a witness is to make sure, does this guy really mean about? Every case I've been on so far, the opposing counsels just looked at my resume and go, yeah, we, we concede this guy's an expert. Okay. When you joined the uh, the military, I mean, geez, how old are you? When 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 was it when you joined the military? I went to basic training in uh, nineteen eighty six. Eighty six. Okay. And did you end up seeing any? Uh, you might have said it, but did you see any combat? I deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan with the you military. Did. Well, thank you for your service. Uh, you're welcome. I mean, and did I read that you were when you came back? Uh, at some point, were you a deputy or a? a what do they call that? Uh, a, yeah, a deputy, right? Yeah. Were you a sheriff's deputy? Yeah, I took a break in service from the military, and I was a deputy sheriff in Colorado for five years. How do, do you get elected, or do when you're a dep? No, you get deputized, right? Right. Is that how that works? You, it's just like applying for a job with the police department. You go. For me, it took about eight, eight or nine months of background check, psychological testing, before I 
got to the academy and the academy was four months long okay have you ever been uh have you ever been hit by a bullet have you ever been shot yes um it was a accident at a training range <laughs> that all right so i get it and i i read an article we'll, we'll get into that but i read an article about that you wrote about misfires and how to uh, you know the pressure that someone might that someone that's not trained might you know scramble because they don't know how like if the gun malfunctioned did the gun malfunction on you or was it somebody else it was um it was my gun i was reholstering and it fired i think because we were in civilian clothes i think a piece of clothing got into the trigger guard okay and it fired um because I do not believe I had my finger on the trigger while I was reholstering. Okay. Did it hurt? But I mean, did it, of course it hurt, it, but like, how actually, did it feel? It felt like getting hit with a wet towel. Like when someone pops you with a towel, that's what it felt like. And I didn't realize I'd been shot. I looked and go, okay, there's a hole in my pants. Okay. There's two holes in my pants. And so, I, did two I rounds more, go off? No, one round, it was an entrance and an exit. Okay. Oh. And I'm looking, I'm, and I was upset because these were brand new pants. <laughs> yeah. I, I had You're just pissed. You ruined them, the Wranglers. Yeah, I just put them on that day. And one of the range uh, safeties came up and he goes, yep, there's blood coming out of both holes. You just got shot. I'm like, no. Wow. That's, what kind of gun was it? Like, how big was the bullet? It was a Glock Model 22, which fires a 40 caliber Smith & Wesson round. Okay. And how did, you know what? This might help before we get into the discussion about law. How does a gun exactly work? I mean, I get the understand. Listen, I get it. Load it, pull the trigger, it fires. But how does it actually, you know, how do you go from, you know, loading uh, a musket with gunpowder and shooting a projectile uh, projectile to what we have today um it's basically the same thing except in the uh 1860s a gentleman i believe his name is dan wesson i think it was him that created it he actually created the 22 bullet where because at the time people were using like a paper patch and pouring powder down the barrel and then putting the ball in and he's like you know what if we could self-contain this because they were already using percussion caps okay which is a small brass cap with fulminated mercury in it and you put that on a nipple that gets hit by the hammer and which causes a spark the spark travels to where the powder is ignites it and the burning powder sends it down the barrel where the path of least resistance is he said why don't we contain it so you have a brass cartridge that has the primer already attached, a pre-measured powder already there, and the projectile. And he created the first uh, modern metallic cartridge. So, so I'm curious, could anything fire the bullet? Like if I hit the back of a bullet with a nail and a hammer, would that be yes. enough that yes. would fire it? That would, if you hit the percussion cap, Yep, that's the little I've seen bullets before, like you know, the little yeah, dot. On, Looks like on, a battery end. Yeah, it Oh, he's got the bullets. Hold on. Let me don't shoot yourself. I'm not. 
No, um, yeah, this is unloaded now, but this is a single round of ammunition. So in here, yep, that circle in the middle is a percussion cap. Okay. So the firing pin will strike it. And inside this portion is the powder. And here's the bullet. The bullet actually goes to about here inside the cartridge. Okay. So they don't and... explode. The bullet, the projectile, I, I don't know anything about guns, right? The projectile doesn't explode. Like once it, I get that the, well, it there fires is, it. There is an explosion inside here. Okay. But it's all contained because the powder ignites and burns very rapidly. Gotcha. And the expanding gases need a place to go. So the path of least resistance is down the barrel of the gun. Gotcha. And, and that sends the bullet out the barrel. Um, the bullet for modern firearms, they have what's called rifling inside the barrel, which are grooves that are cut in, which in part spin, which gotcha. helps to stabilize the bullet in flight. The old style muskets didn't have that, but the Kentucky long rifle used in the Revolutionary War actually did have a rifled barrel. Great. That dating that far back. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of the Revolutionary War, speaking of muskets, it's and there's so much talk about the Second Amendment and the federal government and Joe Biden wanting to ban an AR-15 or assault, what they would call an assault weapon or assault rifle or semi-automatic guns. What Before we get into that part of it, as you read it, what does the Second Amendment mean? How, how should people be interpreting the Second Amendment? What? Um, well, the U.S. Supreme Court just did an interpretation um, last summer where they said, yes, the Second Amendment is for personal. It applies to the people, not the government. And just like every other one of the amendments in the Bill of Rights, it tells the government what they cannot do. The government cannot restrict free speech. They cannot force you to have a certain religion. Um, they can't stop you from peaceably assembling. Mm -hmm. And they cannot, and the right of the people to keep and bear arms cannot be infringed. It is a personal right. And when people talk about, well, because there's, the reason for it, the first part of the amendment is a well-regulated militia being necessary for the protection of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Some people interpret that to mean, well, that's the right of a state to have a militia, the National Guard. Mm -hmm. But if you look in, I don't have the ordinances in front of me, but in the U.S. Code that talks about the different types of the militia. There's the unorganized militia, which is every able-bodied male from 16 to 70. Is You're the unorganized militia. Then there's the organized militia, being the National Guard and the Army Reserve, and then the full-time military. Okay. But the Supreme Court unequivocally ruled that the Second Amendment applies to individuals, not a, some government right to have a state militia. All right. Now, wait, wait. so let's talk about 
how how do you decide what guns people an everyday person should have? How do you decide that? I mean, um, outside of wait, let me just say this, outside of them being a criminal, let's say you're a law-abiding citizen. What who gets to decide? Hey, you know what? You can't have a tank, but you can have a Glock. Um, that's somewhat of a contentious debate. There are some people that said that say you can't, and actually, you can own a tank as long as the. <laughs> the main gun's been disabled, you know, if it won't fire because the projectiles for a tank are typically considered a destructive device. But during the Revolutionary War, private citizens could own cannons. Really? Can you imagine having a cannon in your front yard? Yeah, there were... Get off my lawn! During the Siege of Boston... Um, there was a guy who had a couple of cannons and he donated them to the Continental Army. To the cause. Well, you know what? Speaking of that, right? And this is going to get us on track really quick. Wouldn't the federal government want private citizens to have these weapons in case there was ever a war here? You know, like, I, I mean, you have 300 million people. Well, I guess that there's not that many adults. Let's say you have 100 million adults living in the United States. If they had some kind of a gun or a, or a, a weapon to protect the country, wouldn't the government want that? I feel like that. I mean, I, I understand how it's a threat to the government because you could overthrow it. But if right. a war came here. If a, if, if a war came here, yes, you. It does make sense as long as. People are trained, they know how to use it, they know how to store it safely. Um, but famously, when you read about um, after the invasion of Pearl, or the attack on Pearl Harbor, they asked the Japanese admirals at the end of the war, because the United States was terrified that the Japanese was going to land in California. Mm-hmm. And they said, why didn't you guys land troops? And they said, you know, because the U.S. Army could not have responded to a Japanese invasion of the mainland. This is before we had the highway system implemented. Um, Eisenhower, as a young officer, I think it was in the 20s, it took them three months to go on back roads from the East Coast to the West Coast. And they said, you know, why didn't you guys, you know, the army couldn't have responded. You guys knew that. And this Japanese admiral said there would have been a rifle behind every blade of grass. Every farmer would have been out there shooting at us. Um, During the 30s, the German intelligence did an analysis of Switzerland. And they wanted to know. Like, could we invade Switzerland? And they determined, yeah, if we did a blitzkrieg attack, we could get, we could take out the Swiss military fairly quickly. But they noted every village had a 300 meter rifle range that was used for matches every weekend. The average Swiss person had about a year's worth of food stored up. And they said, we, we cannot survive a siege. Every town would be a sniper's paradise. And the military was not the threat. It was the citizenry with rifles. 
it's, it's almost a matter of national security to not keep guns out of Laura Biden citizens' hands by the people that should be able to have them. You, right. you get like it's yeah, a deterrent, and it it's also a deterrent for if the government becomes tyrannical. If the right. government says, you know what, we're going to suspend your civil rights. You no longer have the right, you know, if they said the military is going to be the new law enforcement, mm-hmm. you no longer have a right to be safe from searching your home. You know, we can search your home at any time without a warrant. Yeah. You, if, you don't... Go if ahead. the government became tyrannical to that extent, like if we were living in a society like, Russia, China, or any of the other governments out there today, which routinely crush their citizens' rights. Well, okay, citizens have here have firearms, which people, you know, like Biden has said, oh, you can't defeat the military with an, with an AR-15. You need an F-15 fighter plane. No, you wouldn't. You know, look at the Taliban in Afghanistan. You know, look at the Viet Cong. Well, I mean, geez, if, if every American, uh, you know, had a gun, you could easily uh, save yourself from tyranny, which which I kind of it kind of ties in what you just said to me. I like my mind just almost went. So what you just told me is Japan didn't attack the mainland because the American citizens had too many guns. They were like, hey, if we attack we're going to get rushed with more guns than, than, than their military has. Right. So then, and then it, it, and also, you, you, um, during the Battle of Britain, the United States, just private citizens, sent you know, literally tons of firearms and ammunition to the British citizens because they were afraid the Nazis were going to invade mainland England. And Churchill put out a call and he said, we need help. You know, if they land, we can't arm ourselves. Look at last year, what happened in Ukraine. The Ukrainian government says, oh, crap, we're about to, you know, we're invaded by the Russians. And they started passing out guns to their citizens. Like, here's an AK, here's an RPG. Here's a quick class on how to use it. So when you think of it that way. And other countries wouldn't attack us because our citizens are armed. It only the only thing that comes to my head is, well, why does Joe Biden want to take our guns away then? Because he knows that once he takes our guns away, we have no way to defend ourselves if the government decided to be a one party system and decide or whatever it is. It just decided, hey, you know what? We we took over. Now you have no way to defend yourself. Yeah, you, you have a couple of uh, slingshot guns, like no real guns to defend yourself. Right. It, you would be at the mercy of the government and at the mercy of criminals because criminals are not going to turn their guns in. No. Criminals, by definition, do not obey laws. Um, you know, I ran into a lot of people who had felony convictions who were still carrying guns because, you know, they're gangbangers. That's what they do. They break laws. How are they getting them? How how do the criminals get? Because it seems to me that in the news, every time somebody gets shot, you know, of course, uh, Congress uh, men and, and women are, are right to uh, immediately saying, ban guns. 
But then you look and you're like, wait, this was like a thug that had the gun. This was a, or a mentally disturbed person that stole his, his father's gun or something like that. How are they getting them? Well, you just gave the answer right there. Most of the time, criminals get their guns by stealing them. And a lot of times that's because the gun owner did not lock them up. And a lot of states are trying to, which I kind of agree with this. A lot of states are pushing now, Oregon just did uh, about a year or so ago, saying, unless your gun is being used, you have to have it locked up. And if your gun gets stolen, you have to report it to the police. Okay. I get now. I don't own a gun and I've never had anybody break. You know what? Actually, as a kid, I had someone break into my house and I, and I, at 14 and I chased them out of my house with a kitchen knife for my mom, but I was scared that I was scared to hell. And the guy was just drunk. No big deal. But now someone breaks into the house. How, how are the gun owner supposed to defend their family? If they got to like say, Hey, sir, well, give me one sec. Let me open up my safe. Let me put my gun together. Let me take it out of the gun bag. Um, well, there's two theories. One is uh, keep your gun on you, which, you know, I get up in the morning, I put my gun on because, you know, most home invasions happen between three in the afternoon and nine in the evening. Okay. That's when people are home. Okay. So, and I don't think I'm being paranoid. I think I'm being realistic. Now, there's also a difference between having a gun stored versus having a gun staged. My interpretation of the law in Oregon is if your gun is staged, it's being used. But you still have a responsibility. And here's the thing a lot of people don't think about. Rights and responsibilities go hand in hand. You can't have power without having responsibility with it. If and having a firearm is gives a person a lot of power. Okay. And but the responsibility is to make sure that it doesn't fall into the wrong hands, whether that's a toddler, whether that's a thief. So there are a lot of different options there are gun safes that you can keep by your bedside that uh, they're a combination lock and you can either get them uh, with a biometric fingerprint reader or just they have a handprint and you press the buttons in a certain combination and it unlocks to get to it what what, can we just go back real quick i what, what is the difference between staged and stored well, I, I don't to, um, storing a gun would be you're not intending to use it. It's so you put it away for long-term storage in the gun safe. Um, a gun that's staged would be one that if something goes bump in the night, this is what you're grabbing and you have it in a location where you can get to it quickly. An authorized person, you, your spouse, if your children are old enough and they've been trained, they can get it. But a thief or a toddler can't get to it. Okay. 
All right, I can I can understand that. What I don't know what it's like in Massachusetts if you have to have it in a safe or not. Um, but I guess the likelihood of or you know what here more importantly, let me ask you this: someone does break into your house, right? What what's the what's the thing you should be doing? Should you be going for your gun or should you be going for let let's get the kids out of the house? Let me grab my baseball bat. What what's what should you do when someone breaks into your house? Um. First thing is get the cavalry moving. So if you have an alarm, hit your alarm, hit the panic, make a 911 call. Hopefully, like in my case, my wife would be doing that while I'm throwing on body armor and grabbing a rifle. Okay. Then I would go to we have the way our house is set up and the way most houses are set up the bedrooms are all kind of co-located on one end of the house Mm -hmm. so i would go out far enough to be able to cover family members behind me moving into the bedroom and we would um you know tell them hey alamo that's our code word that if you hear me in the middle of the night yelling Alamo, it means as quickly as you can get to the bedroom. I'm not going to go trying to clear my house. Once everybody's located, is back in the master bedroom, we close the door, lock it, and wait. Wait for the police. Wait for the police. There's nothing in my house worth me getting killed over. That's what insurance is for. Yep, I, I um, agree. Yeah, it... And plus you have, now, when I said hit the alarm and make a 911 call, that does two things. It's going to get the cops moving, but also you have a backup communication plan. Most residential alarm activations are accidental, and the police know it. So if they get a call from your alarm company that says, hey, we just got a panic alarm at this address, the cops are going to head that way, but it's not going to be a priority if they get an alarm call and a 911 call from the same address, they know this is an in progress. We need to lights and sirens get there quickly. I get it. But yeah, now it, when, you, yep, go ahead. Um, when you think about it from a police officer standpoint, they know there's bad guys, at least one inside the residence. They may not know what he looks like, what he's armed with, how he's dressed. If they run into me, and think I'm the bad guy, there's a really good chance I'm going to get shot. That's a good so point. I'm going to stay. The plan is everybody's going to stay in the bedroom. When the police arrive, um, one good trick is, well, not a trick, but have you a spare set of keys connected to a chem light? So especially if you're on a top floor, you can tell the police, hey, I'm going to throw the keys out the window. And when you see the officer, you toss him out. That way he doesn't have to kick your door in. But also have your interior doors, solid core doors with a deadbolt. With, you know, most of the equipment, like the the strike plates on a door frame, they use like quarter inch or half inch screws 
Mm -hmm. Go to Home Depot, get some two inch or three inch screws that'll go into the drywall so that your door can withstand a kick. Because, yeah, somebody's going to be able to get in eventually. Yep. But it's, you know, the difference between maybe it takes them a minute or two to get in versus five seconds to get in. That's the, a, what if you don't have a gun? Like, what, what what's your best chance to survive? Is is basically, do you do the same thing if I don't, if I don't have a gun and I, I think someone broke into my house and I think they have a gun, maybe they even shot around and I'm like, oh my God, this guy has a gun. What do I do? Do I get my family into that bedroom or do I get my family like, hey, we're jumping out of a window. Let's get the hell out of here. You may have to. Yeah, it may be we need to run. You're going to have to make that decision when the moment happens. Because maybe they're just looking to steal something and they don't care about you. Or maybe this is... Um, you know, the voices in this person's head told them, hey, go to this house and kill everybody. Right. You don't know. But you're going to have to make that decision. Um, there's, yeah, um, years ago in Josephine County, Oregon, the sheriff's department ran out of money. And they told everybody, we need this ballot measure for a property tax increase so we can keep patrol service. If we don't get it, we're going to have to cut patrol service. Because a lot of people don't realize a county sheriff, <coughs> excuse me, their main job that they're by statute required to do is to maintain the county jail. Patrol services are an extra service they provide. Okay. And this county had to stop patrol. And a woman called 911 and said, my ex-boyfriend's trying to break in. And the dispatcher had to tell her, we have no officers to send. Cool. They said, we've contacted state the state police. And state police, most of the time, they're doing traffic enforcement. That's all they do. That's all they do in Massachusetts. No, yeah. they're good people. They're good people. Yeah. I'm not shitting on them. But it's depend, and especially if you live in a rural area, um, like in this case, the, there were a couple of state patrol officers who were over a hundred miles away and they're like, oh my God, they're in route as fast as they can, but it's going to take them an hour, an hour and a half. To Easily. Get yep. Um, wow. when I was a cop, I worked, you know, I worked in a rural County and well, not rural, but El Paso County, Colorado, there were, we had mountains. So to the west, you have the mountains, then you have Colorado Springs, and out east, you have flat farmland. Doing a patrol in the mountains, um, your nearest backup might be two hours away. Huh. So now in this case, this woman, the dispatcher is telling her, do you have a gun? She's like, no, I don't. Well, hide. Can you get out of the house? Can you hide? Do something. So that's a decision you're going to have to that's like, what, what about, I, I, is there ever a scenario where you should engage with the person that has a gun and you don't? If that's your only choice. And and that is basically, you know, you're a rat in the corner and you have your only option of escaping here is to try to lunge at the guy and, and get, I mean, 
Which, I mean, have you seen yeah, the videos on YouTube where like you have some some speaker and he's like, hey, you know, if you get within like an inch of me, I could take the gun from you. Like, does that really can that really happen? I can't. An average Joe can't do that. You can't do it. it yeah, you're probably going to get shot. Right. Um, if. Yeah, if it's if you don't have a gun and someone with a gun breaks into your house or confronts you in a parking lot trying to fight them you're probably going to get shot but is running that... all right running go ahead yeah running is probably your best option and are you supposed to... this is so stupid but i i always see things you're supposed to run in a zigzag pattern is that true or should you just bolt as fast as you can behind something i'd try to get behind something um yeah the engine block of a car a brick wall something that's going to stop a bullet um but yeah, it taking on someone with a gun without one, it's probably not going to have a good outcome for you. So now let's say you're, <laughs> let's say you're really tight with somebody. You know, let's say someone's got you, they're face to face with you. And, and you know, the, the, the typical, like you might see it in the movie and they got the gun like an inch from your head at, at that point. Should you be thinking this guy's going to, other than the fact, let, let's say he's a complete nut, right? He doesn't want your money. He just wants to kill you. At that point, are you trying to move the gun to try to take one in the arm? What do you do in that situation? I'm going to try to get my head out of the line of fire. And at that point, yeah, I, if I was not armed or if I'd been disarmed, I'd try to grapple with him and try to, get control of the gun but again that's something um, when i was a deputy we were trained in weapon retention and using what they call a red gun it's a plastic gun that's bright orange that looks it looks and feels the same but it's cannot fire anything it has no moving parts but even training with those it can be a toss-up over who gets control it's not something that you can just watch a couple of videos and go, okay, I got this. It would be something that you would have to train repeatedly on. It, it, it has to be second nature. I mean, I'm sure you have to, it's, yeah. it's like anything. You probably have to do it 10,000 times. Not only that, I, I'm guessing that the average person would freeze immediately. If someone put a gun in their face, they'd probably wouldn't, I mean, the, the panic would, they wouldn't even think to do anything. And you probably only yeah. have like a split second to be like, I'm hitting this gun out of the guy's hands or I'm tackling him. Otherwise you're done. I can't yeah, even it, imagine. Yeah, I can't either. That would be a worst case scenario. Hopefully you'd be able to see something coming, some kind of sign that this guy was unhinged and avoid the confrontation. And if somebody starts like tries to start a con a conflict with you don't engage don't and especially if you do have a concealed firearm and some guy in a parking lot is yelling at you calling you all kinds of names whatnot just hey sorry i offended you if i did something to piss you off i'm sorry i apologize yeah so it's better to not get yeah and nowadays you never know i i I remember when I was a, a kid, it was 
you know, I could get in a dust up with somebody and I didn't have to worry about that kid stabbing me. It'd just be a fight. We, we fought right. and then we shook. Now I'm like with my son, I'm like, Hey, if anybody wants to fight you, just, just don't because they, you don't know if the kids don't fight like that anymore. You know, I tell them, I'm like, bud, they're going to pull a knife on you. And worse they they might go home and take their dad's gun and shoot the frigging school up. And it's, and also what happens if it becomes a fight, even if it's just a fist fight, you know, you punch the other person, their head hits the concrete and now they've got a brain injury. Guess who's going away yeah, for assault? You're, you're going away. And the kid's going to juvie and he's going to be, yeah, that's. Yeah. And it's tough. You know, let's say you have a gun, you know, you've been trained, you've got a permit, you're legally carrying, and some guy in a parking lot just starts calling you every name under the book. At that point, your best thing to do is to walk away. Um, there's another police writer, a guy named Masad Ayub. He's been writing books. He's been a reserve officer for decades. What he recommends is take a $20 bill, wrap it up, use a rubber band and secure it to a book of matches to give it a little bit of weight. And if somebody confronts you and just starts trying to pick a fight with you, Show them the 20 bucks, toss it to them and say, hey, I'm sorry I pissed you off. Here, go have a couple beers on me. It's not a bad idea. Because you're better off trying to de-escalate. Um, I am working a couple of cases right now for attorneys where their clients yelled back. They got in a verbal confrontation and the other person decided to assault him and it turned into they had to use lethal force but at that point like it can be argued okay this was mutual combat that got out of hand your self-defense claim can be eroded by that um, but before you move on from that I, a lot of people there's a lot of states that don't. Can you explain uh, mutual combat? And you know, like I like for example, I know Texas allows two guys to fight if they if they agree. Can you kind of explain that to people that might not? When you say mutual combat, they, they don't understand that you can legally fight in some states. In some states, I know. Yeah, Texas is one where if two people decide, okay, we're going to go outside and settle our disagreement mano a mano, where that's legal. But in a lot of states, that's mutual assault. Right. They don't. And if you do, you know, he's assaulting you, you're assaulting him. Cops are going to probably pepper spray both of you and you're going to both get it up in handcuffs. If it gets out of hand or if there's an unintended result, you punch the guy and a blood vessel bursts in his brain and he drops dead. Now you're going away from manslaughter. You never think of that in the moment. And the two cases I'm working now, both of these guys have been in jail for over two years without a trial. Oh, that's a long time. It's a very long time. Um, that's, it used to be 
you had to have a speedy trial within a year unless you waived your rights because of COVID that's been ignored. So these guys have been sitting in jail for two years, not earning money, not being able to support their family. They're probably going to lose every penny they've ever worked with or that they've worked for, for legal fees because they decided to get verbal back with someone. And in one of the cases, like, I don't want to go into too many details here, but somebody was being a jerk. He called them out for being a jerk. And it's the kind of thing almost anybody would go, no, you were doing this. And the guy's like, oh, I wasn't doing that. Mm -hmm. And the guy baited him into... You know, it just got verbal, and then the other guy decided to start throwing punches, and it escalated to the point where the defendant had to use his gun to save his life. But is it worth it? I mean, it start this started out as just a verbal conflict. You know, you're arguing over nothing. That and so what if a jury two years later goes? Yeah, you were totally right in what you did. Right. For okay. two years, you've been gone. <laughs> yeah, you've been in jail for two years. You have no money, no job. Now what? You have to literally start from nothing. I do that all the time with my wife. You know that? All the time with my wife. Like, my wife will chuck something at me, and then I'll just chuck it back, and then you know it's a huge beef. I can't. People can't walk away. Yeah, it's, so, it, it's so tough to just turn the other cheek and say, hey, you know, hit me on the other side. Here. Do you feel better now? Here's, here's a 20 and go buy a drink. That's yeah, tough. It, and to be able to walk away. But that's the discipline you have to have, because if you don't, if you are. Because this is going to be presented to a jury in the light that makes you the worst. You know, you are an out of control hothead who let a verbal argument get to the point where you pulled out a gun just to prove that you were right. That may not be what happened, but that's what the jury's going to be told. Yeah. Oh, of course. Who's, who's responsible. Do you, who do you think is responsible? I'm going to guess the pan. I mean, I, I think it's my responsibility with my kid to teach him uh, to walk away, but would you say it's on the parents yes. that are raising the kids nowadays that they have to teach their kids that, Hey, it's because you know when I was growing up, my dad would be like, if a kid give you a hard time, punch him in the face. You know, like yeah. get, get rid of the bully. Whereas now it's more, hey, you know what? Is it really let let the kid call you a name? Deal with it. Yeah, and that's kind of a hard because you want you don't want to raise your kids to be victims. Oh, someone's yelling at me, someone's uh pushing me around. You know, I'll go tell it. You know, give them the options, I think, but, you know, tell a teacher. But if it escalates, you know, you may have to defend yourself. So basically, then, it's last resort. Yeah, know? it is. It, it's And lethal force is only to be used in the gravest extreme. Um, that's a book that the gentleman I mentioned, Masada Yu, that he wrote back in the 80s. And lethal force, here's a lot, there's a lot of people and a lot of firearm instructors that do a great job teaching you 
how to shoot a gun. You know, they teach, you know, a lot of ex-soldiers, you know, even, you know, ex-seals, ex-green berets that are teaching people, here's how to survive a gunfight. They don't tell you how to survive the courtroom afterwards. Okay. And. Um, that's the real fight. Yeah, that's. Right after the fight. Because then you're fighting an opponent who has unlimited time and money to put into this. They can hire experts. They can drag this out for years. And depending on the jurisdiction you're in, you might get a district attorney that's a crusader that goes, we're going to prosecute every gun crime to the fullest extent of the law. Yep. And it's like, wait a minute, this is a classic clear-cut case of self-defense. Well, we're still going to prosecute. And you might run into a cop that says, eh, I'm just going to make an arrest and make the jury, let the jury decide. Because, you know, the police don't, don't want to be the one to go it looked like self-defense to me so i didn't make an arrest yeah well, what cops are in a tough spot nowadays i think yeah that's it's it's really one of those thankless jobs which i thank god for police officers but i'd hate to be one right now with the difficulty with especially if you had to defend yourself yeah <laughs> and if you do now you know, we've got a pat. Our laws in this in the United States are a patchwork of fifty different states. So, self defense. The self defense laws in one state might be different than another. But here's a definition that'll probably you'd be all right in all fifty states, Canada. And that is self defense using lethal force, whether it's a firearm or even an empty-handed technique using lethal force to defend yourself is only justified when faced with the immediate otherwise unavoidable threat of death or serious bodily injury to the innocent some states don't leave that off like but again if you're mouthing off with somebody you being an innocent party can be eroded I get it. So, yeah. Now, how do you? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Um, but for that definition, there are to be in play. There are three conditions that have to all three of them simultaneously be met. You have to be faced with someone with the ability to cause death or serious bodily injury, and serious bodily injury has been defined as a crippling injury. So loss of eyesight, broken bones, that sort of thing. So they have to have the physical ability to cause you death or a crippling injury. You have to be, they have to have the opportunity. And when it comes to opportunity, think distance and obstacles. So someone with a knife 100 yards away is not a threat. Someone on the other side of a chain, you know, of a six foot tall chain link fence with a knife that's threatening you, he's not a threat. You know, if it's someone who's, if you're within weapons range. Yep. Okay. The last component of that is intent. 
would a reasonable person conclude based on the other person's words or actions that they intended to use that ability on you? You know, if you see someone, you know, you're in a diner somewhere and you see somebody with a gun and a holster, do they have the ability to cause you death? Yes. Do they have the opportunity? Are you in range? Sure. But they're just sitting there having breakfast. Yeah. There's no intent. And, you know, a reasonable person is what a jury is. It's 12 reasonable people. And they're going to be the ones to decide was that lawful or not. Can you use lethal force if... um... We'll use the diner for an example. Someone goes into the diner and, and they have the gun to somebody else's head. Can I shoot the guy from behind to save that other person? Um, yes, because you're allowed. Well, most states allow you to save, to use lethal force to save another person. I can't think of any that don't. But my advice would be contact an attorney and do your own research on the laws. But yeah, there have been cases where people have seen um, come upon a violent attack. You know, somebody's in a park stabbing a woman and they shoot the other person. You know, they shoot the assailant. What do you do? All right. So how, how do now let, let's we'll just stick with the diner. Guy walks into a diner, takes out a gun, puts it to the waitress. I shoot the guy. I happen to be a, a law-abiding citizen. I'm a good guy. Just happen to have a gun, right? L- right? Legally, I shoot him. But as I get done shooting him, the cops have already arrived. Now they see me with a gun. What do I mm-hmm. do in that scenario? What What is my... So I don't get killed. I have a gun in my hand. The cops come in. What do I do? Um, oh, but do everything that they tell you in a calm manner. Um, when I was in the police academy, they gave us a lot of examples of plain clothes or off-duty officers getting killed by uniform cops because they didn't realize this guy was a cop. So even police get killed mistakenly. Mm-hmm. Um, and this goes back to what we were saying before about if you're in your house, like you heard something go bump in the night, you call 911 and you're out clearing your house and the police arrive. Now they see a man with a gun. Shoot or not. Yeah. It's your you're, you're picking yourself over that guy every time. Yeah. And if you're now, if you are not pointing a gun, let's say in that situation, you know, a guy comes in and he's robbing the diner. You shoot him, you engage, he goes down, and you see the cops coming in, or you hear someone yelling behind you. Don't turn and point the gun at him. Okay. Should you um, drop the gun? Should I drop it? Probably. If if you hear someone yelling behind you, drop the gun, drop the gun. Yeah, go ahead and drop it because that's probably a police officer who all he saw is you shoot somebody. And I mean, should I get an attorney immediately? Yes. If I if I shot if I'm not I shot somebody. And to to save somebody else, should I immediately not talk to them? Like, if they start asking me what happened, should I say, I need an attorney? Yes. Or should I tell them what happened? No. It 
what people don't realize, okay, everyone's seen people get Mirandized a thousand times on TV. Anything you say can be used against you. What the police don't tell you, and they don't have to tell you, if, is anything you say to the police that can help you in court, they are not allowed to say that in court. Nothing you say to the police can be used to help you. It's Federal Rule of Evidence 801. Gotcha. It's considered hearsay. So even if you were completely on the side of the angels, you were 100% innocent. You know, somebody kicked in your front door with an axe and was screaming at the top of his lungs he was going to kill everybody. You engaged, and then the police show up and go, what happened? Tell them, this guy kicked my door in. He had an axe. This is what he was doing. Okay, how did he get shot? Officer, I will cooperate fully with your investigation after I've had a chance to speak with my attorney. And then stop talking. Okay, and you're going to get arrested? Oh, yeah. You're going to get arrested. But, but worth, better to be arrested, get your attorney there, and to handle it that way. Right. A... Um, I'm a member of, um, there's the U.S. Concealed Carry Association, USCCA. And as part of my membership, I get access to their legal network. So if I am in a use of force situation, you know, my first call is going to be to 911 to get police and medical en route. My second call is going to be to the USCCA, and I'm going to go, yeah, here's my name, here's my location, so they know which jail to look for me in, and I need an attorney. Um, now, we kind of briefly touched on that I'm used as an expert witness in use of force cases. I see a lot of people who did the right thing, but then when they're under the police interview, because we're at the end of a police interview, it's only going to end in one of two ways. You say something to the police that gives them probable cause to arrest you, or you ask for an attorney. That's it. Those okay. are the only two ways that conversation is going to end. There are police interviews that have lasted 15 hours. Um, yeah. So basically... it. In a nutshell, it's, hey, I take me downtown, I get my attorney. Yeah. Or whatever you would say, you know, hey, I'm going to cooperate, but I need to talk to my attorney. Right. And most cops at that point, it's either going to be you're arrested immediately or, you know, if it's something that happens in your house, they might go, okay, we don't have probable cause to arrest at this point. We're going to send it to the district attorney. But, the time to get your version of the of what happened out there is not on scene after you just survived a critical incident where your adrenaline's up, your hands are shaking, you haven't mentally processed it yet. You know, remembering things sequentially has never been pertinent to our survival. So that's not an evolved trait. So you could be remembering things out of sequence until you've had time to decompress and think about it. 
there's a lot of police off police agencies where the unions have said if an officer is involved in a use of force internal affairs cannot question them for at least 24 hours yeah they protect them makes sense okay and also i had one case out of portland where an elderly man is in his mid-60s had a break-in at about 11.30 at night. He got arrested. The police started the interview at 5 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so here's a 65-year-old man who's been awake for almost 24 hours. Poor guy. And the interview lasted about an hour and a half. And you could tell he's out of gas. He's just exhausted at this point. He's giving one word answers like, uh-huh, yeah, I guess. Mm -hmm. And the police finally, the detectives asked him, well, is it possible it happened this way and you just don't remember it? Yep, I get it. And at that point, and he's like, I guess. Oh, you just changed your answer. Yeah, because he hasn't slept for almost 24 hours. Right. I get it. I get it. And I'm junk. I'm I'm junk after that too. Forget it. Yeah. And you know, the time to get your version of events is a couple days later with your attorney. Because imagine this, you're you know, there's a just you hear something outside and you arm yourself and you go respond, and there's some guy with an axe screaming at you, he's screaming at invisible people you can't see and he comes at you from and you want to tell the police yeah i told him you know drop the axe drop the axe he approached me he you know when he crossed my flower bed he was really close i felt i had no choice so i shot him but you're rattled your adrenaline's up you're scared what you might say to the police is, yeah, I saw this guy and he walked across my flower bed and so I shot him. Yeah. Oh, you shot him because he was walking on your flowers, not everything else. Then what happens, you go to court, you go to a grand jury and they go, oh, well, your statement now is different. So after you've had a chance to talk with an attorney and cook up a statement, uh -huh. because any deviation from your original story they're going to make it out that you're lying. Ah, man, there's a lot. There's it's a lot yeah. that goes into it. You got to you you really have to be alert. Uh, I I cuz that might not be the first thing you might think of if I as an untrained person that's never shot somebody, if I end up shooting someone, I'm sure the first thing that's going through my head isn't attorney. I'm probably like, "Oh my god, I just killed somebody." You're, like I'm sure I couldn't even think of that. I mean, I forget it. I can't even imagine what it must feel like to. And, yeah, and if you're a genuine good guy, you know you're not out causing problems. You know, you look at the police as they're here to help. They're the good guys, and you're not going to realize what I say to them could get me in trouble. Yeah, I mean, because they're trying you... to figure out who the bad guy is. They don't know if the guy I shot was the bad guy. Right. They don't know if I'm the bat. Do you know what I mean? Like they don't know when they show up, they have no clue what's going on. Yeah. They're going to pull up on scene and go, what happened? And there may be witness, you know, you could have some wiki Lou neighbor that goes, 
yeah, this guy just ran out of his house and shot this other guy for no reason. And she might not have seen anything at all. But now the police are going, okay, we got this one witness statement. We got, and yeah, you're better off just telling the police, I will cooperate with your investigation after I've spoken to my attorney. I feel like that's a good answer for any time you have an interaction with the police, no matter yeah. what it is. Like anything, you get pulled over for it, you, you're hammered. You're like, um, I'm hurt. Take me to the hospital and I want to speak to my attorney. Yeah. <laughs> like anything. Yeah. And and it's nothing. Cops, I would like to make it. I mean, cops are not. I would, I think, I don't know. I, I would just think that 99.9% .9 of police officers are good guys and truly want to help find out who the bad person is and to help the community. So I'm not trying to S on the, on, on the police department but they don't really know what they're walking into. I mean, even on a traffic ticket, they have no clue if you have a gun or not. It's right. a tough thing. And yeah, most cops that are killed are killed during traffic stops. That's just awful. So just... yeah, when the cop pulls you over and walks up to your car, he's expecting, it's like there's, you know, this could be grandma that's out for a drive at 2 a.m., or this could be some gangbanger or some guy that's just looking to kill a cop. They have no idea what they're walking up on. What do you, when you get pulled over for the ticket, I teach my kid this and I do the same thing. I'm always hands are on the, the steering. I, you know, if it's night yeah. out, I, I flip the light on my windows roll. already rolled down before they get up there. My and hands roll all are your the, windows down. All of them. Yeah. Especially if you have tinted windows in the back. Yep. Let them be able to see, okay, there's nobody back here. Make them try right. to make them feel comfortable. And, you know, tell your passengers, you know, if you have someone else in the car, you know, put your hands on the dash, put your hands on your thighs, keep them in plain sight. And, you know, I usually, anytime they ask me to get my registration, I say, hey, my registration's in my glove. I'm going to get it now. Mm -hmm. my, my ID, it's it's usually with my phone. So, because I have like a little pocket on my phone and my phone's usually in my center console. Like, my phone's in the center console. My ID is in there. I'm going to go get it now because I don't want to get shot. Who knows? Like, like what the hell? Yeah. Or yeah. tased. I don't want to be tased either. Yeah. And, you know, when I was a cop, I got pulled over one time. I blew through a yellow light. I was off. I should have stopped. It was, I was completely at fault. I was in the wrong. I deserved getting a ticket. Yep. But, you know, if the light turned yellow, I'm like, I ain't stopping. Cop pulls me over. <laughs> And, you know, so, yeah, I turned the lights on, rolled the windows down, hands on the wheel, car off. And he's like, yeah, I saw you because he was right behind me. I didn't even see him. But he's like, yeah, you blew through that yellow light. Uh, need to see your license, registration, insurance. And I'm like, OK, my driver's license is in my wallet, which is on my right hip. I'm going to have to reach past my pistol to get to it. Is that OK? What did he say to that? He goes, yeah, just reach slowly. And when I had, my, when I unbuckled the seatbelt, he could see my badge. And then he's like, oh, you're good. Get out of here. Oh, so he lets you go. Can you, I can't yeah. imagine if it, 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 I, I could never do it. Every single time I pulled somebody over, I'd be, I'd be like, ah, I don't know if I would pull people over nowadays. I'm serious. Yeah. Unless it, it was egregious, unless it was like, all right, this, I have to pull this guy over because he's going to, kill somebody but if someone blew a yellow light i'd probably be like yeah 
probably not worth uh, finding out whether or not this guy has a gun. You know, yeah, again, but, and then if you don't do it, one sec, but if you don't, and that guy goes and kills somebody, and then there's a, a the, the camera footage of you letting that guy go at a stoplight, you're probably going to be held accountable for him absolutely. going to commit a crime. And what a lot of people don't realize with the police, when you're a sworn police officer, you have a duty to stop and to arrest. If someone commits a crime in front of you, you're not by law, an officer is not allowed to let them walk away. That's which is also why the police, we as private citizens are allowed to use reasonable force in order to protect ourselves and our loved ones. Yep. Police officers are allowed to use necessary force. So they're allowed to use not just force to protect themselves, but also force to overcome resistance and to transport someone to jail that's resisting and actively fighting. You know, if we couldn't do that, you know, if we saw a crime, we couldn't, and someone, and we said, okay, we're going to, you know, citizens arrest, we're going to arrest you. Well, okay, that's assault. Gotcha. You didn't have to do that. But also, like if, let's say someone does break into your house, you know, it's, you're at the top of the stairs with a gun and you hear someone rummaging around that you know isn't supposed to be there. You can just yell, hey, I've got a gun. Get out of the house. Take off. You know, if a police officer thinks there's someone in your house, they can't walk away. Got it. They're not allowed to say, hey, just get out of here. Go be on your way. They're bound to go to, to, to chase them, catch them and try to yeah. apprehend them. Yeah. Cause it's, it's uh, Jesus. I, I don't know if I, it's a tough job. That's. And I mean, even nowadays when you see, you know, videos, cause I, I, social media is a nightmare and you see videos. I mean, I love social media, but you see people randomly shooting videos of, of cops detaining somebody and it's totally taken out of context. And I get nervous that I'm like, you know, at what point is the government going to make it like, cause I feel like they embolden people to take on a police officer that they feel is using excessive force. Do you know what I'm saying? Like if a cop's yeah. got a guy who's resisting arrest and someone's like, Hey, you're, you're being too aggressive. And then they try to engage. It's like, it, it, I feel like it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and it has happened. And at that point you're interfering with a lawful arrest. You're getting, to, you're going to get detained. You're, may get an introduction to a police baton or pepper spray or <laughs> I don't mean to laugh and hurt in somebody, but, but it's, yeah. it's you're putting but, yourself at, 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 I don't know. That's a, that's a thankless job being a, 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 I love police officers. Thank you for being, you know, and serving, but that's one of those jobs that I, I don't know that I, you know, if my son was like, dad, I want to be a cop, you know, police officer. I, I mean, I would encourage him to do it, but I'd, I'd sit down and say, Hey, you know, why don't you go talk to some other police officers and see what you're getting signed up for yeah. so that you understand the, the responsibility and the power that you're going to have. And yeah. And realize that you may have to, by law, put yourself in harm's way. That's what about, you know, before the, the unfortunately my, my stream thing only lasts so long because I, I have this thing called yard stream. I have to pay for it and it only lets you record for so long. Uh, before it boots me off, I think I think I got like another uh, uh, to it lets me do like an hour and 15 minutes. 
What about school shootings? Um, you, and I know that's a loaded question. What, I guess I would start with say, what do you think causes school shootings? And then the follow-up on that would be, are there really as many school shootings as they, there seem to be? You know, like, you know how like what, hmm, when, when it's summertime and it's like, oh, there's a shark attack, but there's only like really 10 a year. And I'm not trying to minimize it and say that it's not a bad thing. Just saying, is it, is it pushed on us more than it, well, than it should be? Um, well, they're definitely happening. I think some of one of the reasons people pick schools is they're a soft target. They know, uh, you know, and most, I think all of the school shooters have been students at the school. There may be, you know, some outliers here and there where someone just goes, I'm going to go to this school that I don't go to. But a school is a soft target. Um, you know, I was at Fort Hood back in the early 2000s. Yep. And the schools on base after 9-11 had soldiers in full body armor with rifles outside the school pulling security nobody would ever think to do to be a school shooter at a elementary school on a military base because you've got soldiers right there should we do that at public schools should we have soldiers or national guard or police officers or um, a lot of schools do have school resource officers there Um, there are some schools that put where teachers who go through training and have passed the same qualification course as the police are allowed to carry firearms on campus. You don't know who, and you don't know which teachers are armed. It's so it's what, like it's almost like a U.S. Marshal on a plane. You don't know who the U.S. Marshal is. So you don't know what, I mean, maybe they should do that. What about tossing a U.S. Marshal in a school? Like hidden like that, you know, the English teacher is a police officer. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? And yeah. Like he gets paid to be a cop, but you know what? He's he has a, a master's degree in literature, and he's the guy. It. I don't see anything wrong with that. And now there's a guy named John Lott. He's a statistician. He did a study on crime rates when people, as the ability of private citizens to carry concealed weapons became more of a thing and you know anti-gun people kept saying hey if we allow people to have concealed carry it's going to be the wild west people guns are going to be broken out at traffic arguments it's going to be terrible what he found is more guns means less crime the uh about 10 years ago there was a shooting at a movie theater in aurora colorado mm-hmm he picked that theater because there was another theater that he was looking at. Um, but the theater he went to had a sign that said no concealed carry, you know, no firearms. He picked it because he knew no one was going to have a gun. So that's basically it's almost <laughs> the same thing you were saying at the beginning of, the, of our conversation that Japan didn't want to attack the mainland because they knew that the citizens were armed. So it's the right. same thing with picking a place that you're going to shoot up. You say, well, 
I mean, I'm not going to go shoot up a police station because there's armed people there. Right. And there was a county in Florida. I think this was in the 80s. Florida was, I think, the first state to allow shall issue, meaning the concealed carry process for most states used to be the chief of police had to decide whether or not to give you a permit. The result of that is political cronies got permits, regular citizens did not. Florida says, no, unless you're a convicted felon or have been found to be mentally incompetent, they have to give you the permit. And after they did that in this one county, there was a lot of rapes going on, very well publicized. What the sheriff did was he invited any woman to come get their permit and to get trained. And they highly publicized that there's a lot of women out there now who are have been trained to carry a firearm and they're packing. Rapes dropped. God, yeah, you bet. You bet they did. Yeah, it, it's like, so yeah. Who, who should be able to get a gun and who shouldn't? Or maybe the question, better question is, who should not be able to get a gun, to get a permit to own a gun? I think anybody who's mentally incompetent um, shouldn't have a gun. People who have a violent temper probably shouldn't have a gun. But it's one of those things where how do you prove until someone commits an act that says they shouldn't have one, it's really hard to say, yeah, I don't think this guy should have one. Criminals, no guns. Well, I guess, I'm, I mean, I guess uh, if, you, if you stole bread, you, you should be able to get right. a gun. But like I'm saying, yeah. you, you committed a, a serious felony, attack somebody, you, you've been convicted of rape, um, child abuse, anything like stuff like that. Yeah, most, most of the time, if you have a misdemeanor conviction, you can carry a firearm unless it's for domestic violence. Um, if you have a felony conviction, no guns. That's the way the law currently is set up. And that's, that's, that's all that's federal, uh, that's, everybody, all States. Cause I know I, each state has their own little other sub laws. Right. But, um, you're not going to be able to legally purchase a firearm if you have a felony conviction or have been found mentally incompetent or are out on any kind of pretrial release or have a restraining order for domestic violence. Okay. And um, before, cause this thing's going to run out. I don't, I honestly don't know if it's going to shut off now in a minute or not, but okay. Um, should assault, no, nope, I don't want to call them assault weapons cause that's not what they really are. Should semi-automatic guns be banned? Should no. people be allowed to own them? Absolutely. People should be allowed to own fully automatic. And in Oregon, you can own fully automatic. There's um, never been a case of, other than like in the roaring 20s with the gangsters, of people using fully automatic weapons. Well, now there actually have been a couple, but it's rare. And people who get permits to own automatic weapons don't use them in crimes. You know, it's just like people who 
what they found is that average citizens who get a concealed carry permit commit less crimes than police officers. You know, they've been through background checks. They're more of who you'd want carrying a gun. So I don't think, you know, it's not the gun, it's how it's used. So it's the person, basically. It's the person. It's the person. And one thing to keep in mind, let's say, for example, an AR-15. For a 110-pound woman in her home, that may be the best self-defense option she has because it's got less recoil than a shotgun. It's more easily managed. It's going to be more accurate. And she's not going to be as afraid to use it. You know, my sister a couple years ago took a class on for women in firearms. They went out to a range and shot a bunch of different kinds of guns. When it got to the AR-15, she was like, wow, this is going to be, you know, a big deal. This is, you know, because she's seen, you know, seen them on the movies and whatnot. When once they actually got the shot, shoot it, she was like, "That's it." <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, so there's, yeah, I get it. So there's no, there's not much pushback. So what? At what point? Um, you know what? Because listen, Biden wants to get rid of uh, the semi-automatic weapons. I mean, he certainly doesn't want people to have automatic weapons. What is a gun? that's too much for the public is there or is there is there a gun that's like hey uh uh-uh the public shouldn't have this probably well it's not the gun but the ammunition things like grenade launchers (laughs) um you know you can like in Oregon, some in some states like for example oregon you can have a flare launcher yep you can use them to shoot flares or what they call bird bombs. Yeah. Yep. But, you know, an explosive, like a high explosive fragmentary device. No, you can't have that. Well, like a uh, Gatling gun. I mean, I don't even know if those things exist anymore, but can, like, you know, you don't think someone, do. should, should someone be able to have one of those. People do with permits. You, but remember they're, they've been through a background check. If you have an automatic weapon, the ATF can come to your house at any time and say, show us the gun and show us the paperwork. And okay. if the paperwork is not stored with the gun, oh, it's not stored properly. Now we're confiscating it. Let me just real quick. Is that only automatic or is that any type of gun? A- ATF can show up at any time if you have, if you own a gun. If that's registered, you know, gun firearms that are in their purview. So if it's a, short-barreled rifle, a short-barreled, um, like a sawed-off shotgun, or an automatic, a fully automatic. And just so people know, fully automatic means you hold the trigger down, it keeps shooting until you run out of bullets. Semi-automatic, one bu- round fired for one pull of the trigger. <coughs> okay, and but so semi-automatic doesn't fall under their purview, but automatic does. Automatic does. Okay. So... Um, yeah, a lot of people own automatic weapons. There are clubs you can go to in Colorado, Vegas, different places where if you want to shoot a belt fed machine gun, you can, if you want to shoot a, uh, you know, an electric, you know, a mini gun, like the kind you saw in predator. Yep. You can go shoot those. You know what? Speaking of that, 
All they're right, highly, but they're highly controlled. What's uh? And then this will be it. I'm sorry, I keep saying this will be okay. it, but because you brought up a movie, what movie has the most realistic gunplay in it? If you could, if if you're in you, you like watching movie, you're like, man, that actually is how it really works. Um, Heat. Heat, great movie. Yeah, great movie. The bank robbery scene in that. Um, yeah, Val Kilmer doing the combat reload. I mean, for small unit tactics, that is probably one of the best movies out there. Is that um, how it really happens? The the way they use the guns, <laughs> is that like, hey, that's that's real life as opposed to like, you know, John Wick. Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't think John Wick is really real life when you like dive in and you can drop a, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, John Wick, actually part of that's because um, he went to a guy named Terran Tactic, Terran, um, Terran Tactical. Like he got good training, but a lot of what the action sequences, they put things together that want, you know, each component is real, but it's all strung together. It's like, then it kind of becomes almost cartoon violence. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, I think he was very realistic. You know, what, especially one of the scenes where they show Val Kilmer shooting um, on full automatic. He loads, shoots for about a second and a half and has to reload because he's out of ammunition. Because a lot of people don't realize, because you, know, you see in the movies, people shoot, you know, 200 bullets yes. before they have to reload or they never yep. reload. It's like, you know, and you start, this goes back, you know, to the cowboy movies where you see some guy shoot 15 bullets out of a six gun. It's like, <laughs> yeah. he kind of has to reload at some point. <laughs> it is pretty, it, it is. It's funny. Cause you sit back and you're like, wait, how many bullets does this guy have? Like my, cause yeah. I play like video games. Well, I don't really, but my son does. <laughs> And one of them's Resident Evil, and I have no clue with the guns, but I like you can look down and say, okay, I got six bullets, and I count one, two, three, four, five, six, and then I have to reload. So yeah. I, I know it's not real life. Um, but... Another movie that's pretty good is Thirteen Hours. What is it? Thirteen Hours. I've never seen it. It's uh, about the contractors who were providing security in Benghazi. <coughs> I have to check who's in it. Do you, is it uh, some uh, John Krasinski? Um, uh, uh, James Dale badge. Um, but it's about, they were contractors who were protecting a CIA base in Benghazi, Libya that was overrun in 2012 on September 11th. Oh, so it's the, 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 based on a true story. Based on a true story. Yeah. I'm, you know what? After we're done here, I'll probably watch it before I go pick my daughter up. Yeah, well, was... stop watching it. Yeah, that was the event where, when it was over, the State Department put out, oh, this was in response to a YouTube video. It's like, there was no protest. It's like, that was a coordinated attack. Yeah. Now, I, I, now has it been proven? Or is it, it's never, how can you ever prove what the government does? You don't know. Yeah. That's a tough, that's a tough thing, dude. They, they could come out and be like, oh, the sky is red. And there'd be half the people in the country would say, yep, sky's red. So those are, those yeah. are tough. Those are, uh, those are tough conversations, but all right, listen, I gotta, uh, I gotta hop off. Okay. Um, I really appreciate uh, you coming on. If you don't mind, I'd like to reach out from time to time. If absolutely, uh, you know, certain gun topics come up, what, 
uh, how do people get, you know, what, what do you, do you have anything that, that you want to promote or how do people read your stuff? Um, most of my books or not books, uh, articles, you can, if they're a member of USCCA, they can read them online. Um, I have some links on like my LinkedIn channel, but, um, yeah, pretty much just through the USCCA, they can get a hold of my articles. And there's some that have been republished other places online too. And what if they want to hire you as an expert? Um, if an attorney or somebody is in a use of force situation and they want to hire me, they can reach out. Um, my email is robertson.schuyler.p at gmail.com. Uh, you can check the spelling there on the screen and yeah, they can get in touch with me. Or um, I have had attorneys get in touch with me through USCCA. They actually reached out to the editors and go, hey, this guy that wrote this article, we'd like to hire him. Perfect. All right. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I'd be happy to come on anytime. Skyla, thank you. Thank you very much.